0: Okay, so welcome to our weekly Bible study for March eleventh, two 2007, current event in Bible study, and um, we're going to talk today, uh, primarily we're going to go back to this whole lost tomb of Jesus and reaffirm some of the things that we started in the first lesson. Before I get into that, I just wanted to mention I had an email this week from um, the Susan B. Anthony list, and... Uh, this email, I was not aware of this. It says, did you know that today is a special holiday? Now, this was um, Saturday. Uh, or actually, no, I'm sorry. This was, um, I got this Friday, and it was. this was in regard to Saturday. It says, it may not be on your calendar, but according to the National Abortion Federation, March 10th is, quote, the National Day of Appreciation for Abortion Providers. So, yes, yeah, Saturday we had a national holiday. I don't know if anybody knew it. Um, then it goes on to say it's really not something to celebrate, is it? Birthdays are something to be celebrated. Abortion providers, in contrast, determine the death day for at least 4,000 babies today in America alone, because if you you do the numbers, there's 4,000 abortions daily in America. Uh, And then it says they'll do the same for 4,000 more innocent young ones tomorrow and the day after that. Shockingly, there are organizations in our culture that find legalized abortion on-demand heroic. The website, the National Abortion Federation, urges supporters to sign a petition to celebrate abortionists. The petition says, quote, abortion providers are much more than highly trained medical professionals. They are also our heroes. May the Lord Jesus Christ rain down his fury on Planned Parenthood, these national abortion providers, every single one of them. I'm not telling anybody to go out there and and, and firebomb them. I'm saying leave it to God. But you know something? If God were to judge... These places, we could look at Psalm 64 where the Bible says, And God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. All men shall see and fear and declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider His doing. The righteous shall be glad and the Lord shall trust in Him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. Well, the purpose of God's judgment in Psalm 64 and many places in the Bible, is that all men will see and fear and declare the work of God, and they will wisely consider of God's doing. If these places were to be judged, if the Sodomite movements were to be judged, and, the, and all of these wicked factions of, uh, of the higher uh, uh, globalist New World Order were to be judged, there'd be a lot of people who got saved, because the fear of God would come on a lot of people. As Ananias and Sapphira, we can look at that. And uh, if nothing else, the fear of God is going to preempt a lot of sin. And so, that's my motivation for saying that. It's not because I want revenge, because God says, Revengeance is mine, say the Lord, I will repay, meaning God will repay. But to, but to call these, these people heroes is, is just absolutely incomprehensible. Uh, And then it goes on to say, Proponents of the culture of death callously spread the messages of indifference toward unborn children. They ignore the real needs of women who have to deal with the consequences of the choice for the rest of their lives. Uh, And there is a lot of consequences, both physical consequences, tangible physical consequences, and the emotional, uh, mental components of this. So, when you have 4,000 babies that are dying every day in America, and all that innocent blood is crying out from the land, Well, all we have to do is look at Abel, Cain and Abel, and God asks Cain, you know, your your brother's innocent blood cries out for money. Well, how does that compare to 4,000 innocent babies being slaughtered every day, and it not even being called murder, but being justified? Uh, Really, most of this is done, I don't know if you want to call it, to the God of convenience, to the God of self because that's why people get abortions, if you really think about it. They, they don't want the monetary burden. They don't want the burden of the child. They, they don't view... Um, and, and when you do that, that's demonic. That's evil. And don't expect that not to affect the country in a very adverse, negative way. And what it's done, I believe, this is, this is the primary thing that I think God looks down on in America. And is the largest of all abominations. I mean, yeah, you can talk about sodomy. Okay, great. That's two consenting men... Or if it's if it's pedophilia, now that's another deal. But this is this is killing innocent babies before they've ever even seen the light of day. They have no choice or say in the matter. I think this would be the largest abomination that God could look down on in the country and judge it for. And what I believe it's done is it's blinded the country. It's blinded. Um, okay. Uh, the it's really blinded the apostate to see in typical church I'm not going to say everyone's ones like that but but there's a the, the vast majority of what's going on in this country you know it's just not being dealt with you know this this issue from from the pulpit it's not being dealt with effectively now if you go up to the Susan B Anthony list it's <clears throat> www.sba listorg if you go up there, they have several petitions, and it's it's by far the best streamlined anti-abortion site up on the net. They've got a lot of different things you can do. And people will, will say, I've, I've gotten a lot of Christians that have said, well, you know, why even bother? It, it's The Bible says it's going to be this way. You know, it's going to get worse and worse and worse up to the, when Jesus comes back. But we're, we're called to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints in Jude, Blue Jude, uh, verse 2 and 3. So we're we're called to do this. We're called to be salt and light. Light always exposes darkness. Salt is a preservative of the environment that it's in. So if we just sit back and do nothing, that just sends the absolute green light to those people that are doing these heinous acts. Hey, it's okay. We're just going to go further with our agenda. I'm not saying that ultimately it's still not going to get worse, but we're still called to fight. We're still called to fight. And you never know who might get saved as a result of you fighting, because somebody may may be you know they may look at the church and do this or that and just walk away and say, oh nobody cares anymore, but he's apathetic. Which for the most part is true in this country. But if they see you fighting, maybe that'll give them the encouragement to say, you know something, that guy's that guy's fighting. He's he's, he's being biblical, and I don't mean going out and getting guns and doing that type of stuff. I'm talking fighting on your knees in prayer um memorizing the, the you know the word of God being being outspoken when it comes to these types of issues. Um, you know doing anything that you can to expose darkness. I, I just don't see how you could go wrong with that. And then the whole um, warnings that we get in Ezekiel three and Ezekiel thirty three about where if the watchman see the sword come into the city and he warn not the city, then his blood will be required at the watchman's hands. See to whom much is given, much is required. So if you're told these things And there's an opportunity for you to tell someone else that would benefit them and you don't do or say anything. And I'm not saying that that there's been times where I haven't done what I should have or said what I should have. I don't mean to imply that at all. But we do need to be proactive. We, We do need to put forth what we've been given because God's showing us this so we can help other people. Ultimately, that is the gospel, to be a servant. I mean, the gospel is Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ came as a servant. To seek and save and to be a servant to mankind. He was our example. That's what I mean by that. So, um, anyway, that's that's. I just wanted to touch on that. Okay, so continuing with our uh, study here. The, the main topic that we want to talk about today is we're going to go uh, look at this lost tomb of Jesus a little bit further. And we're going to see really today more of the agenda behind it. Uh, We're going to also look and debunk the theory from an archaeological standpoint as well. I I just think this is important uh, because this is one of the main deceptions that seem to be being shoved down a Christian's throat through the things like the Da Vinci Code. With, uh, you know, Tom Hanks And now this lost tomb of Jesus From the Discovery Channel And this really started with the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail Forget the authors This is where they had talked about What they call the Merovingian bloodline Of the Illuminati And this Merovingian bloodline Is considered what they call The 13th family The 13th bloodline of the Illuminati And they b- basically have always claimed That their lineage stems directly back from Jesus Christ And, um uh, Mary Magdalene, and you know this is just pure blasphemy, is what it is. But that's where it actually started. This whole Da Vinci Code, Lost Tomb of Jesus. And what really was the precursor to all that was this book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Not a lot of people know that because this book's been out for a long time, but it's taken a long time for it to get to the point now where this information is more mainstream. And uh, it's a it's a heresy of the highest degree. Now not a lot of people understand that this James Cameron, the man that uh, has written the uh, or has actually, he's the director of, um, of this lost tomb of Jesus most people don't understand that this man is a 33rd degree Mason, Freemason and an occultist so you have, to, you have to think, well, right there, the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, right there, we, we've got a high-level occultist that's in charge of the whole direction. Maybe he's got a hidden agenda for wanting to bring this information forth. His name's James Cameron. He's a very, very famous director. He has directed the following films. the Terminator, All the Terminator films with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's directed... All the aliens films, that called aliens. These are high level, multi, top notch horror movies. Okay, horror action thrill movies. He's directed the Abyss, which is this movie about the deep sea. Uh, True Lies, another one with I believe Arnold Schwarzenegger was in that one. The Titanic, which is one of the I think it's most recent. And now he's, he's directing The Lost Tomb of Jesus. So his other here, he's in good company here. I'm sure we're going to get the truth from a 33rd degree Freemason who's directed those types of films. The Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. And I think all we have to do is look at the fruit of his career, his film directing career, to understand what type of person that we're dealing with here. <clears throat> There's a, been a whole book written about him called The James Cameron Conspiracy Theory. You can, I believe, you can go up on um, the internet. Actually, you can go up to the internet and if you if you type in James Cameron conspiracy theory. His last name is C A M E R O N. James Cameron conspiracy theory. Do it in quotes if you want to make it real accurate because you get a better search that way. Uh, there's a website, actually, a couple different websites that have. <clears throat> excerpts, if not the whole book, up online where you can read this. I can't. I don't have time to get into it all today. But this man is is uh, highly associated with the dark side and the occult. Uh, they're just kind of looking at, at. I'm just going to read you a few excerpts from this. In the tradition of the Freemasons, the 33rd degree. 30, Freemasons have access to privileged information regarding the workings of world events and knowledge that is hidden from the public. See, the whole essence of the Masonic Order, the Freemasonic Order, the, the 33rd degree Freemasons, the whole essence of that organization is a word called Gnosis. And that word Gnosis is where we get the word Gnostic from. What does that word mean? It means hidden knowledge. Secret societies that have permeated them where, their way all the way from ancient Babylon. And the Freemasons are probably the best representation, the purest representation of the Babylonian mystery religions that, that emanated from the Tower of Babel. So, And that's, that's the religion we're coming back to. See, that's why I'm going over this, because this is where the world's heading toward. And we have to look at, okay, well, how are they going to get the world there? Well, that's why we want to look at this. So, these people, these Freemasons, have privileged information regarding the workings of world events and knowledge that is hidden from the public. And it's been hidden for a long time, but now it's emerging more and more and more. After being instated as a 33rd degree Freemason in a brief ceremony before the Academy Awards on March 23rd, 1998 in the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles James Cameron has spent his free time being initiated into the secrets of the fraternity and being assisted by other 33rd degree Freemasons so this is when he actually became a 33rd degree Freemason March 23rd, 1998 Shrine Auditorium Okay, we're not not talking about things that are maybe or, you know, we're talking about things that have actually happened with this man. Another interesting revelation in the James Cameron conspiracy theory was that the MKUltra mind control technology developed by the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, in the 1950s was embedded into all of Cameron's films. From the beginning of his career to present... Oh, now you're really getting off base, you know. You can't talk about this kind of stuff. Well, why not? They are doing... They have been doing subliminal... What they call subliminal embeds in movies ever... I mean, for decades. It's it's not... A, I mean, they, they, they've used it at movie theaters for years where they'll flash a f- one frame of a picture of a of a nice big soft drink or a big popcorn. One frame in the movie. And all of a sudden... And they've, they've noted this where... When they do that, people will get up from their seats. Not everybody, but, but a lot of people will. And this is how they generate the sales. In fact, there was I, I heard of this one man once, and that was his job. When they got the movie reels in, he was to insert these frames in the reels. And they're so fast, you can't see But the subliminal mind picks it up. And it sends you that subliminal message. And this is why, in, in America, one of the reasons we're so materialistic and materially driven, so this MK Ultra, we were just talking uh, here about how MK Ultra, this mind control. This is not something that is theory either. This is something. There's there, there's been many documents that have been declassified. There's been Senate hearings in regard to this MK Ultra mind control, and this was brought to us by our government, and our government's been working with the, you know, Hollywood and and various and sundry industries in order to bring about their agenda. And... This is just one of the things they're doing, and they're embedding this stuff into the films. Now, I'm not saying... I don't know the percentage. I don't know if 100% of the Hollywood films are embedded at this point. wouldn't surprise me if they all were. But I know that James Cameron, this has been one of his areas of expertise. And some of the largest, quote, blockbuster films that have come out have had this technology built into them, and now we have the lost tomb of Jesus. Now, if you're Satan and there was one thing you were wanting to deceive the masses about, it would be the death, burial, resurrection, and life of Jesus Christ. Questioning his deity. okay? Because if, if, any, if he can discredit any part of the life of Jesus Christ, particularly the resurrection, if he can do any of that, then the gospel, you can just throw the Bible out the door. It doesn't take a whole lot to have a whole house of cards tumbling down if he can take out. And it's not a house of cards. Okay, I, sh- I don't mean to compare the Bible with that. But what he's trying to do is make it appear to be a house of cards. That's what he's trying to make the gospel look like. It's this flimsy thing. And y- you figure, I mean, why should this surprise any of us? I mean, you know, a lot of people may recoil and hell, oh, I can't believe this has happened. To that. Well... The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." The Bible says if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And then evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. I mean, we've got all these things that the Bible says were going to happen in the day and time we're living, in. we should be looking for this. So I don't really let it get me down, uh, and I would encourage you not to let it get you down. This is something that actually is confirming of Scripture. It's something we should be looking for. But that's why we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we would do that, then these things wouldn't really, you know, take us by surprise so much, because we already know that this stuff is coming down the pike. And... Primarily, one of the ways to guard yourself from this is you have to cling to the Word of God. You have to believe the Word of God is true. You need to make sure you're reading the right Bible, which is the King James Bible. And when you do these things and you dwell on the Word of God, Jesus said to the Father, says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Then He says, Thy word is truth. I believe that was John 15. So, we're sanctified as a Christian. What does that mean? Well, the sanctified means to be made holy and set apart. We're sanctified by the Word of God. We're made holy and set apart. Well, how do you get sanctified? Well, you have to read the Word of God or hear it. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth purified seven times thou shalt keep them O Lord thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever that's Psalm 12 verse 6 and 7 so God's promise to keep his words he's promised to preserve them and the King James Bible is the only Bible that cannot be that is not copywritten. It's the only Bible that comes from the the, um, the Textus Receptus, the Byzantine text. All the other Bibles that have spawned from today's day and age are put basically from the Revised Version of Westcott and Hort of 1881. And from that version spawned all the other versions that we have today. Now, God is not the author of confusion. Why would He have 200 different Bibles to confuse the body of Christ because He wants to challenge us? I don't think so. But again, this is why we need to study show ourselves approved unto God. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But you need to pray that God will lead you in wisdom and truth. One of the ways that we can do this, the Bible says to... Um, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and then he will direct the paths. So if we acknowledge the Lord and trust in the Lord and acknowledge him, in other words we give him credit for what He's shown us, we don't try to take credit ourselves and get proud, well then He will direct our paths. So these are these are things. And then, and then the Bible also says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if you're trying to get your prayers answered, don't be living a life full of sin, because if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord can't hear us. It's like we put a barrier up between us and the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't want to do that. So these are just some practical things in regard to receiving truth, walking in truth, The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 9, It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So, that's how we cleanse our way. We take heed to the word of God. Simple as that. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. That's another one. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Well, if you want to get your path whipped... Well, the Word is a lamp, a light. So that's what we need in the time of darkness we're living in. We need that light. This is why what I try to do with these current event and Bible studies is always bring it back to the Word of God. What we're doing and why we're doing this is to see how current events, how these things relate to our present day world. I just don't believe that this is being addressed enough in the church Um there's a lot of good sermons out there that I would even agree with and, and, and that I would hear but there's a lot of things that people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge as well where the Bible talks about being destroyed for lack of knowledge in Hosea four six. so we don't want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge we want to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us the hope of glory we want to be able to, to be able to, de, to debunk false religions false theories these types of things this is why we do what we do here um to be able to equip people to do that and go forth. Because I don't shy away from these things. One of the reasons I'm so adamant about this is because when I was a little baby Christian, I had a Jehovah Witness, I was, I'm was i a chiropractor, and I had a Jehovah Witness um, come to me, and he, he did a lot of computer work. Man, it was just a mess, physically. And he came up to me one day and he says, Well, he says, uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll fix your computer. All I'm going to ask you to do is you come over to my house. You can bring your Bible, and we're just going to have a Bible study. That's all he asked. He did this work on my computer. So I went over and I went to this guy's house, and he absolutely ate my lunch, cleaned my clock. And what these people do is... They will dwell on... They will strain at gnats and swallow camels. See, that's what all cults are based on. How do cults operate? If, if they're going to even go to the Bible, which not all of them do, like Hinduism and, and Buddhism really don't reference the Bible. But a cult like the Jehovah Witnesses, or Mormonism, are more dangerous to a Christian because they rely on twisting Scripture. And that's why I say they strain at mats and swallow campbells. They ignore the weightier things, as Jesus talked about. They like to, to uh, major on minors and minor on majors. This is how cults that have anything to do with the Bible are all formed. They they, they they take some pet doctrine out of the Bible and twist it and dwell on it. And they ignore other obvious scriptures in the Bible in order to justify what they're doing. So, this is basically how all. All cults that uh, have anything to do with the Bible are formed. And this guy, um, this man really, really cleaned my clock. And he really, really rocked me. And after I had recovered from that thing, and the Lord pulled me back, I believe that was a wake-up call for me to really get into the Bible, to study it, to know it, so that this didn't happen again. I took it very personally that this had happened to me. I didn't like it. And I didn't realize how easy it was for that. Because these people take their religions much more seriously than the average Christian. That's what people don't understand. <laughs> the, the typical, I'm sorry, but the typical pew warmer in America, or even sometimes the typical pastor in America, a lot of times could not could not uh, have any kind of theological debate with one of these people. They, they, they'd get the clock clean. I hate to say it, but I really do believe they would. Uh the Jehovah Witnesses the Bible they use is called a New World Translation and it's again spawned from the West Garden Hort they used to use the King James a long time ago and I actually I, I know what they would actually do I've seen copies of their Bibles where they would actually have them before the New World Translation came out they would actually have them go through and cross out whole sections of scripture saying they didn't apply <laughs> well again if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do? So, isn't this what Satan did in the Garden of Eden? Isn't this where it all stems from? What did Satan say to Eve? He said, Yea, hath God said. What did he do? He questioned the Word of God. This is the premise behind all these cults. They always question the Word of God. This is the premise behind the lost tomb of Jesus. What is it doing? It's questioning the Word of God. Who's behind it? Satan. So, you know, the father of lies... That's what he is. That's what the Bible says. Well, that's what he's still doing. He's still good at what he does. If anything, he's honed his technique over these thousands and thousands of years. So, getting back to this article, when Cameron, and this is the James Cameron of of the, the director of The Lost Tune of Jesus, when he began his film career at age 30, in the late 1970s, he was already a member of the Freemasons from the age of 21 possibly introduced to the fraternity by his father, Philip Cameron. Since a group of Freemasons helped Cameron finance his film projects, they were secretly embedded with this MK Ultra technology into its films. It's logical to conclude that the person controlling the MK Ultra technology under Project MK-Search And again, if you don't believe me, look this up on the internet because there's there's things that are declassified now from our government. This was the project that MK Ultra technology was under. Um, The person that was in charge of that technology of the MK Ultra technology at that time was the director of the CIA. He was also a 33rd degree Freemason. He was also a member of the Skull and Key and the Skull and Bones of the Yale Society, which is the highest demonic fraternal order in the college system that there is. In fact, in the last election, both our current president and the man he ran against, John Kerry, were both members of the Skull and Bones Society of Yale. A society where, during initiation, you have to lay in a coffin naked with a ribbon tied around your genitals, and confess every sexual sin you've ever made. And they note that. They do note that. That's what they do. Okay? This is what our president did. This is how you get initiated into this. I'm not making this up. Research it. It's wicked to the core. Skull and bones? And the disproportionate number of our presidents that have been members of this, how could this be a coincidence? Considering that, you know, I don't know, was it one in every, it would be 50 million people become president? And this unbelievable disproportionate number of people are all members of the Skull and Bones? And this, this fraternity that turns out, what, 15 or 20 maybe every year? Is that a coincidence? Well, the man that was in charge of MK Ultra. When James Gammon first started all this, it's my control, was none other than George Bush Senior, thirty-third degree Freemason, member of the Skull and Bones, Skull and Key, director of the CIA. You know, but you know you can't say anything about him because he's a Republican. You know, <laughs> give me a break. There's there, there, there's no difference. There, there, this has all been done for our benefit. Oh, no, there's difference. I'm a Republican. I'm a pro-life and all this other thing. Yeah, whatever. I'm sorry. You know, I'm as, I'm as against abortion in and, and all this as you could possibly be. Okay? But these organizations, Democrat, Republican, all this stuff has been done for our benefit, to keep our eyes off the ball, off the real things. We battle not against flesh and blood. Republican or Democrat but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places, these types of things, this is our spiritual battle we're called to now granted, I still think yes, we should expose wickedness and darkness, okay but we need to be able to identify who our enemy is, that's a big reason why I do what I do, to identify the enemy so that we can, these are things we should be praying against, but most people don't know to pray against it, or they don't want to see it, to pray against it So, yeah, he's a 33rd degree Freemason. Now, another thing with with these guys being 33rd degree Freemasons. Now, last week, we talked a lot about how they're trying to reinstitute the temple sacrifices on the Temple Mount. The Jews want to do this. And um, that's a good, I mean, it's not a good thing. They, They view it as a good thing, and the Bible says it will happen. And the Bible says that in, in Daniel 9.27, that when the Antichrist, uh, in, the three, in the middle of the three and a half year tribulation, that he's going to cause the sacrifices and the oblations to cease. And this is going to start then the great tribulation. And this is when the persecution is going to get really severe, particularly for the Jews. Well, in order for the sacrifices and the oblations to stop there has to be a temple and there has to be sacrifices going so yes rebuilding the temple is going to happen it has to happen from a biblical standpoint because the Bible says it doesn't mean that it's a good thing it doesn't mean it's still not an abomination in the sight of God it doesn't mean that it's a mockery of the blood of Jesus Christ because that blood paid our sin dead in full we don't need the blood of goats and lambs and bulls anymore it's, it's, it's all been done away with And there's many Christian organizations, they call themselves Christians, many Messianic Jewish, Hebrew Roots Movement organizations that are out there actively giving money to rebuild the temple. Going over there, I had a man tell me the other day, we're going to go over there, we're going to pray this summer on the Temple Mount, we're going to dedicate this temple to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why? So they can reinstitute temple sacrifice and reinstitute the old Jewish religion? How could Jesus Christ have anything to do with any of that? You can't you can try to spiritualize it all day long. Yes, as a Christian I know it's gonna happen. But I sure am not gonna put money toward it and try to dedicate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not gonna happen. <clears throat> See, this is the this is the point about having balance. Okay? We need to have balance. I'm not gonna also go so far and say the Jews are responsible for every single sin on the planet like some of Christians will do. You know, they're they're behind every single plot that they've been behind every single murder. You know who's been behind every single murder? Really? The devil, Satan, spiritual entities, these types of things. Well, think about this. During the thousand year millennium, there's really not, there's, there's, there's no indication in the Bible there's going to be sin on earth. But when they're released for a short time, then there's going to be sin again. What does that tell you? That tells you that when these, these, these demonic entities, these evil entities, these fallen angels are re-released back on the earth, all of a sudden man starts having a sin problem again. Whereas for the thousand year millennium, there wasn't a problem there. Where does that tell us where the sin is emanating from? Okay? Now I don't mean to say, well, okay, well the devil made me do it and just blame it all, but tell you what, he's the one, he's the one that originally went to Eve, where all this started. He's the one. So, to go a little bit further uh, with this. Oh, hold on. Let me... I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. I'm getting a lot ahead of myself. (laughs) I'm going to go through now. We're going to look at this lost tomb of Jesus a little bit closer. Because in the first message, I really didn't do a lot... But to be honest with you, the information hadn't come out at that point. <clears throat> to debunk this yet. But there's actually been a lot of this already been done. This is old news. I don't know if you knew this about the lost tomb of Jesus. No, I'm fine. <clears throat> pretty, pretty old news. Um, it's just that what they've done is they've brought it to the, to the uh, spotlight now, given it a little bit of a new twist. This is an article called Str- Truth is Stranger Than Fiction by L.A. Marzua and uh, his website is www.spiraloflife.com. and he goes to say the recent claims by director James Cameron and others that the ossuaries, these are the uh, basically like the caskets where these bones were supposedly found of Jesus in them, they're called ossuaries. <clears throat> The recent claims by director James Cameron and others that the Oshawa is discovered more than 26 years ago are that of Jesus Christ the Nazareth and his family is certainly cause for concern. As an apostle, as the apostle Paul penned millennium ago, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then your faith is in vain and you are most miserable of all men. Well, this is true. This is what we base our whole faith on. You know. But what is really happening here? Is there any underlying current of something more sinister? I believe there is, and here's why. There are two areas of attack that have been foisted upon believers, um, which are in the way. In other words, they're in the way of the New World Order, their agenda. Which is that Christianity was originally called in the first century. The first point of attack is to, is to dispute the work of the cross. This is the precept that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that someone else was put in his place and then was hustled off by Joseph of Arimathea, which is what they're contending here, essentially, with all these heresies, who revived the nearly dead man, Jesus. Of course, this would mean that the Romans, who were very skilled at putting people to death, somehow botched this one execution. Give me a break. The other point of attack is that Jesus was not divine and that he wasn't really God and that man together, man and... He wasn't really God and man together as one equally. Invalidate either one, and Christianity falls by its own weight. See, this is exactly the reason they're bringing this stuff out right now, because they're trying to make Christianity fall. But there's something else in play here, and it's what I refer to as the Luciferic Agenda, or Conspiracy. Conspiracy. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and hosts of spiritual beings in heavenly places. In other words, the unseen world of the Spirit. Lucifer, also referred to as Satan, has an agenda. It is one of deception. Again, this is what we've already kind of talked about. It's just an agenda of deception. This is why Satan's here. To deceive us. So ultimately, he can take as many people to hell as possible. If you really want to boil it down, He's going to lake a fire and he wants to take as many people as he wants. That's Satan's agenda, period. You can, you can look at it any other way you want, but ultimately that's his end. As a precursor to the great deception that will come upon the earth, he has laying down the first volleys to weaken the one thing that could hinder his plans Christianity. I believe that one of the first salvos was Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Now we've got. This lost tomb of Jesus, and then as I mentioned before, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which was in an unholy book. Um, So, he says, I've actually met the people who believe in the premise of this book, which Jesus sired a child with Mary Magdalene. Could Cameron, this, this, this James Cameron guy, and his cronies and the alleged remains of Jesus be used much in the same way? Uh, now, this is an interview that just appeared on the Today Show of Matt Lauer and Meredith Vieira. This, this is an interview about the lost tomb of Jesus, and it's just happened the, uh, very recently, probably within a week. Uh, this is, this is uh, Meredith Vieira, and, and, we, and this is a quote from her, and we have a potentially amazing story. Have we possibly found the tomb of Jesus Christ? We're looking live at the boxes that could have contained the remains of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And we're right there, we're, we're just basically... Do you think the Muslims would let anybody get away with this if they were to question it? I mean, all you've got to say is one little thing about Muhammad and they got the behead signs and you are all going to die signs and we're going to nuke you off the planet signs. That, they, that they'll be marching in the streets. But this one thing right there, if they were to find the remains of Jesus... Now, Mary Magdalene is one thing. But the remains of Jesus Christ... Well, your faith is your faith is dead. It's in vain, and we're going to talk about that more. Then she says, "There, there's. It's these tombs are at an undisclosed location. There's news conference uh, later today, but we're going to talk about this to the filmmakers. Now, the news conference, I believe, was the news conference they had last Monday, or maybe it was the Monday before last. On." Um, Discovery Channel it was a live thing You could go up there Online and watch it I actually watched Some of it um, It was archived I didn't You know It was all heresy But it was You know Much fanfare It was a big You know Auditorium and stuff And it was You know A, a lot of uh, Fanfare about it And then Matt Lauer says there's More research Needs to be done But if this turns out to, to be true This changes Everything Oh you're right Matt But it's not true doesn't change anything for me. Okay? And it shouldn't change anything for any Christian because you have to be grounded on the solid rock of the Word of God. And what is the Word? Well,. In the the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men, and and the darkness comprehended it not. So, see, this is John 1. I was just quoting bits and pieces of John 1. Jesus Christ was the incarnate Word. We have in our hands the written Word. If you have a King James Bible... And, yes, a lot of times it's referred to as the King James 1611, but actually the Bible we hold in our hands is the King James 1769 edition. Okay, there were four grammatical punctuation revisions after the 1611. If you were to sit down and try to read a 1611 King James, you couldn't even read it. It's It's in Old English, okay? So the Bible we actually have here is a 1769 King James but it came from the 1611. Okay, it's just a clear point of clarification because I've been I've been taken to task on that one too by men of higher learning. Well, you don't even know what Bible you have. Oh, <laughs> well, again, I mean, I think it's important to know these these things. They are important. So anyway, um, so Matt Lauer says this changes everything. You know, people want this. This is another thing I wanted to touch on today. People want this. They want to invalidate Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, Narrow is the way that leadeth the life eternal, and few there be that find it. Many shall say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, haven't I done all these great things? Prophesied in you, know, done great money, and many will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. See, if you were to believe Christianity in the Bible, yes the gospel and salvation is a free gift for you are saved by grace through faith and not not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast Ephesians 2.11 okay so um, we have that and that's the gospel but the gospel does require holy living and if the Holy Spirit lives inside you then he's going to convict you of your sin and these types of things and and you're going to want to strive for this But see, most people want their sin, they want to stay where they're at, they want to keep sinning, and if we can invalidate Jesus Christ, then hey, this is great, because then there's no real repercussion for my sin. I can live like the devil, or even better, I can earn my way into heaven, which is what really all religions are trying to do. wherever they're trying to earn their way to whether they call it nirvana or heaven or utopia Satanists would call it hell pseudo-Christians would call it heaven but they're earning their way through good works it's not not by works of righteousness that we are saved we're saved by Jesus Christ through his shed blood through his death, burial and resurrection we're saved through him we're not saved in and of ourselves. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. And the Bible says, for we are all an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. I believe it was Isaiah 64, 6. Um, so, we can't save ourselves, no matter how bad we want to. No matter how much of a good person we might think we are. Our best day is a filthy rag in God's eyes, done under our own power. That's it. Okay, so and, and to be quite honest with you, I'm glad it is that way. I don't want to try to save myself. I know I would go straight to hell. I know, and I believe when the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you will come to that conclusion. I mean, really, is this a better way? Why would you want to try to earn your way into heaven? That's pride. That's pride to think that you could live a righteous enough life to be able to qualify for sinless perfection of heaven, for a gift you don't deserve. And I'm not including myself not in that equation. I mean, if I got what I deserved, I'd, I'd get hell. I know that. So, this is, the, this is the difference here. But see, this is a couple different reasons why people so want to believe this that Jesus isn't who he said he was, or, yeah, he was here, but you know something? This whole thing about this whole sinless life thing and his resurrection, all that, it's all a lie. No. Jesus' life is a historical fact, number one. It's how we divide time. B.C., A.D., B.C., before Christ. Oh, but you know they've changed that now. You know what it's called now? B.C.E. You know what that stands for? Before Common Era. So that now they ta- But you know something? It doesn't matter because for 2,000 years it was B.C., before Christ. And then what? The other one stands for Adno the Sea or something, our day of the Lord or, or the year of the Lord or something. Well, they, they they're just trying so hard, you know. I mean, it's how we divide time. Christ's life, his life was a historical fact. Many Christians saw him. Many Romans saw him. There were Romans that wrote about Jesus. There were many hundreds that saw him after his resurrection. And that's, that's noted in the Bible and in other places. The tomb's empty. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, their tombs are still there. Their, their bones are still there. Even if they haven't been ransacked and grave robbed. So, Jesus is the only one that has this distinction. And it's the distinction upon which we hang our faith upon. His death, burial, and, and resurrection. Now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and ever maketh intercession for the saints, as the Bible says. So, this is just a big thing for a lot of people. And for the Antichrist, in order to make his appearance, this could only help his cause greatly in order for this you know, to come forth. So, uh, moving on, it says, Vieira concluded that uh, now Vieira again we're getting back to Meredith Vier on the Today Show Vera concluded <clears throat> oh no hold on I'm getting ahead of myself here I'm sorry um, Vera says oh it's a huge story absolutely and then when it the finally aired Vieira said while the Bible tells the story of Jesus and his resurrection this box could show physical evidence that he existed was buried and then he had a son named Judah oh did you know that he had a son too Viera noted that this was the central. You know, it's, it, they would probably want to try to give it some type of Christian veneer because Jesus is also referred to as the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. That's one of his titles. Okay, it's it's really an Old Testament reference, but he's but he's called this the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. So, um, Viera said bear noted that this was the central claim of Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. We'll see now what, what we do is, what, what Satan's doing, <clears throat> and David Bay has, has written on this extensively, on the six-step attitudinal change, attitudinal uh, change. Uh, if you go up to his uh, cuttingedge.org and do a keyword search for six-step attitudinal change program. You'll find this article. He's had it many times. What they do is is Satan will come out with a heresy and it's a heresy that somebody on the surface is like a Christian would say, oh, that's just ridiculous. That's just stupid. Nobody would believe that. But what happens is once the heresy is introduced and you open the paper and you see there's debate on it You see, oh, you've got archaeologists and these other guys debating the Christians. What does that do? Puts doubt in a lot of people's minds as to, well, if they're debating about it, maybe there is some truth in it. This is how Satan does things. Now, what he's doing is he's layering upon layer of this. First, there was the Holy Blood, Holy Grail book. Nexus it Da Vinci there might be other things I'm sure there's other things that, that came out that have attacked the deity of Jesus Christ but I'm talking about these are some of the main ones that I know of and now we have Lost tomb of Jesus so see every time one of these heresies comes out that says oh Jesus never died and you've got these people that are either lukewarm Christians or unbelievers off the side here and they're not studying to show themselves approved unto God they're not even reading the right Bible they're in a 501c3 corporation called a church They're doing all this, these things that are unbiblical. They're having the Christian rock bands, and all, their, all the world is being invited in the church. They have no discernment. The Bible says the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, having the conscience sealed with a hot iron, speaking lies and hypocrisy. So this is First, uh, first Timothy four one. The Bible says this was going to happen. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. This is what most of the so-called pseudo churches is operating in. They're not equipped to deal with something like this. They're not. They're being spoon-fed as at most baby Christians on the pew. If they're even a Christian at all. Most of them aren't. I don't believe they are. The Bible says, by the fruit you shall know them. I just don't see a lot of biblical fruit coming from the modern day traditional churches that are out there. Now, I'm not saying everyone, okay? But I'm talking about the majority. And again, Jesus said, narrow is the path that leadeth to life eternal. Few there be that find it. How could you say all these carnal Christians that are in America are all saved? Come on, give me a break. There's no way doesn't mean I'm set up here saying I'm perfect, okay, or that I'm living in sinless perfection. I'm just basically examining the fruit. So, I'm just trying to kind of lay down the premise, why this is so dangerous, how this is such an attack. And we go on in this interview, and it says, Vieira concluded the segment by telling Cameron in the interview that this claim is absolutely fascinating potentially, I mean, many would argue the biggest story, or one of the biggest stories of our lifetime, if you were correct. End of quote. Now, this is what this Meredith Vieira said. Yeah, it would be the biggest story of our lifetime. And we might as well all lay down, because it, it ain't going to matter. If, if, if we can invalidate what's on the cross, and this is, I'm going to read you an email of somebody that emailed me about this after he heard my sermon. And uh, you're going to see you're going to see this firsthand. I mean, some some people may be listening to this and saying, "Well, this does, this isn't going to rock me." Well, you'd be surprised. Where do you, where do you, where do I read this email to you? It's not my opinion, and I'm not doing it to try to bring shame in this man. I'm not going to reveal his name. I, I don't, I don't even know him. He emailed me one time, and I appreciate his email. I do, and I tried as much as I can to help him. We're going to look at that. Um, so then it goes on <clears throat> this man wrote a book called Unholy Deception the man that's writing this article and he used the term in this book called Great Deception although fiction is based on what my belief that a great deception will take place although it's not fiction it will happen I mean, we're going to have have this happen um, the Bible says that he will send strong delusion that they will believe a lie Ooh, all those who, who receive not the love of the truth You better be really, really careful about what truth you're not receiving. Because if truth offends you, and if you're not receiving the love of truth, you're in a real bad position. Because the Bible says that the Lord himself is going to send a strong delusion. Particularly during the time of tribulation, but I believe we're seeing that strong delusion right now even as well in the precursory stages. And it says that he's going to send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie. Now this is 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 I'm talking about. That they might all be damned because they receive not the love of the truth. These are people that are going to go to hell. So really be careful. what you're believing. I mean, if what you're believing is de- deviating from the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're believing a lie. You're believing strong delusion. It's very, very serious what I'm talking about here today. This isn't just something where I'm talking about current events for the sake of talking about current events. I'm talking about how does this relate to taking people to hell? Because that's what we're really looking at here. That's why this, they're, they're releasing this. They want to take people to hell. That's what Jesus, That's what Satan's agenda is. Let's get as many into hell as we can. <clears throat> so it says... Uh, going back to this it says although, fic- although fiction this book that he, this man wrote it is based on my belief that a great deception will take place and that it will affect the worldview of every person on the planet well the bible says that the antichrist is going to come with all lying signs and wonders and if it were possible even the very elect would be deceived he will deceive many it's going to be the strong delusion if the enemy can refute uh, I'm sorry what stands in the way of the antichrist is Christianity and I'm talking about really, we we could, we would say Bible-based believing Christianity, okay? Because Christianity today has such a connotation, you know. Um, which Christianity is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the enemy can refute the resurrection, he creates a vacuum in which to insert his agenda. You see what's going on here? If if Satan can conquer, this okay. is what he's going to do we're seeing right now. It's like, you know, the hoof prints of Satan riding into the thing. We can hear them. They're coming. Okay? He's trying to refute and debunk Christianity. He can do that one thing. It creates a vacuum to which the Antichrist can fulfill. Probably he's going to try to primarily fill that vacuum is the false prophet. Because he's going to be more the religious aspect of the Antichrist. He's going to point people Primarily, probably, as the head of the Catholic Church, or through the Catholic Church, he's going to point people to this new age, this new false religion that's coming, which is most likely going to be an amalgamation, or a combination, of different various and sundry religious systems on planet Earth, under the guise of the Catholic umbrella, because they're the the ones most set up to be able to accommodate these other religions. What is, the, what is the religion of the New World Order really going to be in its purest essence? It's going to be witchcraft. Because the Bible says that the Antichrist will cause craft to prosper. Witchcraft. And that he will be a speaker of dark sentences. This is in reference to the Antichrist. So, he's trying to create this vacuum to insert his agenda. The worship of himself as God. That's what the Antichrist wants. <clears throat> Make no mistake, that this is happening in real time and that the Cameron documentary is another attempt to weaken the faith of millions who believe and those who are sitting on the sidelines. I mean, and and again, I encourage you to not let this weaken your faith but strengthen it. Realize we're in a battle. Okay? This fires me up. and, And I want it to fire other people up. I really do. Because it should fire us up. This is something that the Bible talks about. And realize, if you can identify this as a Christian as heresy and go against it, you're one of the few Christians that are that are going to be doing anything. I mean, Jesus is looking down from heaven, and he's wanting people to represent him on earth in spirit and in truth. I mean, he, he's wanting people to go forth and expose darkness. Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he expose darkness when he was here on earth? Why? Because he's light. And light exposes darkness. That's why we're called to be salt and light. Another article <clears throat> called the Jesus Tomb. It's, it's entitled the Jesus Tomb, Titanic Talapot Tomb Theory Sunk from the Start. Now this is a real catchy theme. Uh, this is a uh, from a guy named Ben Witherington. And I, I will say this guy's uniquely qualified to write about this. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of hit the high points here. Uh, he's he's kind of this, again this man Cameron this James Cameron also directed the Titanic film, okay, and he's also one directing the Lost Tomb of Jesus. Now another person that. Um, James Cameron, the movie director who made the enormously successful film called The Titanic on the night after the Oscars will give an Oscar winning a, a performance at a news conference along with Simka Jacob Jacobovici who has who has now produced the Discovery Channel special on the discovery of the Jesus tomb. So the Simkova guy was the guy that really worked with the Discovery Channel to get it produced, whereas James Cameron was the director of the film. Okay, that's the difference here. Uh, In addition, we are now... They are now unveiling a book by this Jacoby Simka guy and Charles Pellegrino entitled The Jesus Family Tomb. The Discovery, The Investigation, The Evidence That Could Change History. Now this was just released by Harper Collins. Now this is the book that's coming out. Now not a lot of people know about the book, but there's a book now that's coming out in conjunction with this lost tomb of Jesus film. there. You know, Satan's hitting you with a one two punch here. Okay, so that's, that's the name of this book. The Jesus Family Tomb, The Discovery, The Investigation, The Evidence That Could Change History. Now this was just released by HarperCollins and it's timed to coordinate with the news conference and the Discovery Channel special HarperCollins huh who owns HarperCollins? Rupert Murdoch who's Rupert Murdoch? well he's a big time pornographer he's considered by even people in the press as the great Satan Rupert Murdoch also owns Zonderfan Publishing Zonderfan oh aren't they the ones that produce Bibles and the Christian yeah they are Yeah, Zondervan has has a lot of rights to um, a lot of different Christian things. Rupert Murdoch owns Zondervan. Isn't that wonderful? That's why I don't buy anything Zondervan. HarperCollins. Rupert Murdoch owns HarperCollins, too. What does HarperCollins do? Actually, HarperCollins is what's over Zondervan now, if I'm understanding this correctly. Zondervan is almost like a subsidiary now of HarperCollins. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, that, that's not a real. I mean, if you've already got a false Bible and it's coming from a from a satanic publishing company, that's not really a good scenario. Call me crazy, you know. I I just don't think it's a great scenario. Hmm. What other book does Harper Collins produce? I mean, they produce a lot of ungodly stuff, huh? Well, you know, in 1966, there was a man taught called Anton Sanzegor LeVay who started the first church of Satan in San Francisco Hmm. he started it on May 1st which is a high satanic holiday May 1st 1966 and this man Anton Sanzegor LeVay also wrote the satanic bible who has the rights to the satanic bible Harper Collins you know you're in good company with all this good company First of all, this man goes on. Now, this man who's writing this, this is Ben Withington. He's actually worked with these men. He says, first of all, I have worked with Simka. That Simka is the is the director for the Discovery Channel Lost Tomb of Jesus. Okay, he's the director. Okay, um, he's the pr- producer. I'm sorry, he's the producer. Whereas." Whereas James Cameron was the director. Okay? First of all, this man goes on to say, I have worked with Simca. Now, this is this Simca Jacob Balvachi. He's a practicing Jew. Indeed, he's an Orthodox Jew. Oh, that's the kind of person I want in charge of a a documentary on Jesus Christ. I'm sure we're going to get unbiased information from a 33rd degree Freemason... A cultist who's responsible for all the MK or most of the MK mind control programming that's went into many of the Hollywood films, and a practicing Orthodox Jew. They're the ones that God has so chose, their God, their God, has so chose to guard this information and finally give us some truth. By the fruits you shall know that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, I say the foundation's pretty corrupt here. He was the producer of the Discovery Channel special On the James Ossuary Which I was involved with Now this is, a, this is a separate thing evidently On the Ossuary or the coffin Of James I believe James in the Bible This man goes on to say Now I don't even know if this man is a Christian And, and in a way I think that's good Because you cannot only accuse this information Of being just some biased information He's just being a, He's trying to be objective here He goes on to say, he says, he's a good filmmaker. This Simca guy, he knows a good sensational story when he sees one. This is such a story. Unfortunately, it is a story full of holes, conjectures, and problems. It will make good TV and involves a bad critical reading of history. Basically, this is old news with a new interpretation. We have known about this tomb since it was discovered in 1980. Not a lot of people know that. Oh, it's this big discovery just came out. No, they've known about it since 1980. There are all sorts of reasons to see this much ado as, as about... There are all sorts of reasons to see this as much ado about nothing much. Number one, these are the reasons. The statistical analysis is of course only as good as the numbers that were provided to the statistician now see they're saying there's this 600 to 1 odd that this has to be the two of Jesus all these you know statisticians and all this stuff now he's saying the numbers that are provided by the statistician only as good as as, um, as, as what the, the the data that was given him. and he says he couldn't run the numbers he didn't have so far as we can tell the earliest followers of Jesus never called Jesus the son of Joseph why would they call Jesus the son of Joseph he wasn't the son of Joseph he wasn't he was the son of God the father almighty period the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary that's how she conceived Joseph didn't have anything to do with it now he did have brothers after that but that was from that. you know they were really his half brothers what it was Jesus Christ did not have an earthly father. <laughs> okay, so evidently that's what's on the these os- the, the I don't know if they're saying that's what's on the ossuary of Jesus, Jesus son of Joseph. Well, that right there tells you it's not Jesus Christ. <laughs> right there, we we can disprove the whole thing right from that. It was outsiders who have mistakenly called him that. Would the family members such as James who remained in Jerusalem really put the name on Jesus too when they knew otherwise? Why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense. It is highly improbable. Oh, it's not highly improbable. It's, it's, it's impossible. It would not have ever happened. Out of the total number of 2,625 males... These, now, what I'm going to give you now are the figures for the ten most popular male names among the Palestinian Jews in that time period. Okay? The first figure is the total number of occurrences from this number, while the second is the number of occurrences specifically on ossuaries or tombs that have been found. Okay? Simon, that was the most common name in in Jesus' day and age when he lived. Okay? There were... Uh... 200 out of the 2,625 males they've identified from that region in that time period, they have identified 243 of them being named Simon. 59 Oshwares have been found with that name on them. Okay. Then we go down the list. Joseph was the second most common. Eleazar, Judah, Chad, And then the sixth most popular name was Jesus. Did you know that? 99 out of the 2,625 males they've identified were named Jesus. And out of them, 25 were actually on the the caskets or the ossuaries. Okay? So right there, I think we've got a gigantic problem also as well from a statistical standpoint. For women, we have a total of 328 occurrences. Women's names were much less recorded than the men's. And I think that's because of the society that they lived in. Um but here's where the four most popular. Mary was the first one. Now, this is one of the names on one of the ossuaries in in this lost tomb of Jesus thing, okay? So Mary was the first one, okay? You could see at once that all the names you're interested in were extremely popular. In other words, all the names that were in this, uh, that were on these ossuaries, these coffins, in this supposed uh, tomb here were all popular names of the region. Uh, 20% of Jewish women were called Mary. 21%. The chances of the people in the ossuaries being Jesus and Mary Magdalene of the New Testament, (laughs) he's saying it wants to be very small. I don't even view it that way. I view it like it's an impossibility because I believe what the Bible says. But I like it when statistical data can further verify this. There are so many flaws in the analysis of the statistics themselves that one must assume the statistician did not have sufficient data or the right data to work with. Obviously didn't here's the second reason why this can be disproven. There is no independent DNA control sample to compare to what was garnered from the bones of this tomb. By this I mean that there that the most of the DNA evidence can show that by this I mean that the most the DNA evidence can show is that several of these folks are interrelated. That's all the DNA evidence proves. Well, if you have a family tomb, they're probably going to have similar DNA if they come from the same family. Why is that any big? But see, the saw. Oh, it's got to be Jesus. Well, if you have a family tomb, you're probably going to find the same DNA in the people buried in the tomb because, you know, it's just we're just being logical here. We would need an independent control sample from some absolutely identified member of the family of Jesus to confirm that these members were the members of Jesus' family. That's what you have to have. They don't have that. We do not have that at all. In addition, mitochondrial DNA does not reveal genetic coding or XY chromosome makeup in any way. They would need nuclear DNA in that case. In other words, they're, they don't even have the right tests. So DNA, all the DNA stuff is probably thrown in to make this look more like real scientific fact. But it's not. Number three, several of these ossuaries, again, are these coffins, have very popular and familiar early Jewish names. We've kind of already covered this. As the statistics show that we've already went over, the names Joseph, Jesus, um, were two of the most common names in all the early Juda- Judaism. So was Mary. Indeed, both Jesus' mother and his sister were named Mary. This is an ancient equivalent of finding um, the the equivalent tombs of the Smith and the Jones family. That's, what, it's, that's like what they've done here. It's like, oh, well, we found a, a tomb, family tomb and they all had Smith on them. Well, wow, that's that's really impressive. You know? Like that validates, invalidates what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Give me a break. Um, Another thing. You must implicitly accuse James, Peter, John, which are uh, mentioned in Galatians 1, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1 and 2 in our earliest New Testament document from 49 A.D., you have to accuse them of fraud and cover-up. You've got to accuse Jesus' very disciples of fraud and cover-up. Are we really to believe that they knew Jesus' body didn't rise from, from the grave, but perpetuated a fraudulent, fraudulent religion, and for which they and others were prepared to die for in the last thousands of years? I don't think so. I don't think so because the Holy Spirit lived inside these men and they went forth and they brought forth truth and many of them gave their lives and many of them were martyred that was the reason they did it you just don't do this for a false religion decade after decade year after year yes there's some false religions that that take lives but those false religions usually get snuffed out and most people aren't willing to die for what they believe in you know century after century after century did they really hide the body of Jesus in another tomb? We need to remember that the, that the James in question is the, Jesus's brother, who certainly would have been would have known about a family tomb. Um, moving further, there's a if if you want to read this article, you can go. It's you just type in, in your um, <clears throat> computer, Ben witherington b-e-n-w-i-t-h-e-r-i-n-g-t-o-n dot blogspot dot com okay, and from there there's a whole other thing but you'll find it you'll you'll find the story in there uh, he gets into a lot of things and at the very end here this is from a, uh Uh, Article that ran in the Toronto Star. He provides a link to this article. And it says, in fact, the same article reports that Professor Amos Kloner from Bar Ilan University has already told the German press in regard to this lawsuit of Jesus. It's a beautiful story, but without any proof whatsoever. This is what this now, he's an independent, this is not a Christian, he's saying this. He is very important, this man since he did extensive work and research on this very tomb and its ossuaries and came to negative conclusions published in a journal in 1996 this was over 10 years ago they've already come to this conclusion in short this is old news to which has been added only the recent DNA testing and statistical analysis neither of which makes the case the filmmakers want to make I feel, this guy goes on to say, I feel sorry for Simca, who is the producer of the Discovery Channel, thing that we've talked about. But I know how these things happen. One's enthusiasm for a subject propels one into overreaching it when it comes to drawing conclusions. Well, I'm not going to give him that much credit. I'm sorry. If he's a practicing Orthodox Jew, he would have a direct interest in, to, in disproving and debunking Jesus Christ. He would, have, he would definitely have that. The problem with keeping these ideas secret for the sake of making a big splash of publicity and lots of money is that peer reviewed is that peer reviewed by a panel of scholars could have saved these folks a lot of embarrassment down the road. In other words, he's saying this is almost embarrassing what this what they've brought forth here. It's terrible, and they're going to be embarrassed down the road. But see, by then the seeds have already been planted in the minds of the public. They've already been planted. So my response to this is clear. James Cameron, the producer of the movie Titanic, has now jumped on board another sinking ship full of holes, presumably in order to make a lot of money before the theory sinks into an early watery grave. Man the lifeboats and get out now. (laughs) And then he has another new addendum. And one more thing to add. Eusebius, the father of church history, four centuries... Is he okay? Okay. Yes and no? Okay. Well anyway, this Eusebius tells us that there had been since New Testament times a tomb of James the Just, the brother of Jesus, which was near the Temple Mount, and had an honoric steel next to it. Oh, I guess it's some kind of plaque. In that it was a pilgrimage spot for many Christians. It is apparently a single tomb with no other Family members mentioned, nor any other ossuaries in that place. The locality and singularity of this tradition rules out the family, family tomb in Talapot. Now this is where they found this, this tomb. It's called Talapot. Christians would not have been making a pilgr- pilgrimage to the tomb of James if they believed Jesus' bones were in it. That would have contradicted and violated their faith. But the, but the bones of James were another matter. They were considered sacred relics. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm, I'm not going cons- to consider anything like that. But, I mean, I can understand if they knew. It would be like going to a cemetery to pay respects to somebody. You know, I don't have a problem with that, but I'm just sure not got to worship his bones, his relics. I mean, that, now you're getting into Catholicism and stuff. Um, here's a passage from Eusebius on Jesus's brother James. quote "He was buried on the spot by the sanctuary and, and, and his inscribed stone is still there by the sanctuary. This is clearly not in Talipot where they're saying James and all the other family members of Jesus were discovered. And remember to claim that there is a Talipot family tomb means that Jesus would have been buried long before James was martyred in 168 AD. 62 AD. In other words, James' tradition contradicts the Talipot tomb, both in locale and in substance. James is buried alone in another place. See, this this thing falls apart so many angles, it's not even funny. Okay, so that's that's basically part of the whole debunking I wanted to get into. Oh, I'm going to have to keep this until next time. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of continue where we're at, um, and and just as a little side note on Eusebius, um, I was just informed that you know he's a uh, uh, he was kind of pro Constantine during the fourth. So I want to make that as a, I, I'm not saying that 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 I'm sympathetic now to the whole. Uh, Pagan Catholic cause or anything like that But what we're doing is we're trying to build a case here We're trying to just document historical facts And things of that nature Now I I told you I was going to talk about an email That I received this week From um, a man And I I don't know who he is But he had listened to the Lost Tomb of Jesus Audio recording up on Sermons Audio Which is what you're listening to now If you're hearing this And um, he just had a lot of different pointy questions. And I I appreciated his email and I've tried to respond as best that I can to him. Uh, But this is an exchange that I had with him um, via email. (coughs) He goes on, he says, um, Hi, Mr. Johnson, I listened to your sermon about the tomb of Jesus. From what you said, it sounded a bit as if this whole stuff is from God and not from Satan. Now, I'm just going to read this And then I'm going to post my response because my tendency is to want to jump in right away and respond to this. But it's not going to make any sense if I do that on on the audio here. So then he goes on to say, I thought that this is from Satan because he wants to deceive mankind. From what you said, it sounded as if any any real believer will not be affected by this at all. But what if there are real Christians which are confused by it and worried by it? What about them? Or do you simply say that anybody who's confused by it is simply not a real Christian? I am a bit worried by it because I don't know anything about archaeology. I cannot estimate this at all. And when you hear all the stuff about the chance being 600 to 1 that Jesus is grave, that it really is Jesus' grave, then it concerns me. I wish it wouldn't, but it does. I wish this would simply bounce off, but it does not. And when I hear Christians like you say That this doesn't affect them Then it worries me even more Because I cannot say that Okay, So I mean this is kind of sad You know So I responded back to him And I'm not even going to give his name But I'm, I responded back to him And I said although <clears throat> This is my response Although this heresy is, is straight from the pit of hell We're talking about the lost tomb of Jesus Although it is straight from the pit of hell The Lord did say he would send strong delusion in the end times. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 9-12 through 12 says, quote, Even him, now this is talking about the Antichrist, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and lying signs and wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this God for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Now, it's saying God is going to send a strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. That they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. End of quote. Now, when he was saying, like... Uh, the, the distinction here is that God is permitting this to happen... And that God is going to be sending strong delusion. It doesn't mean that it's holy. It doesn't mean that, that that this is pulling people to the cross. But this is part of the strong delusion the Bible predicted would happen. And then I told him also, consider Matthew 24, 24. If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. 2 Corinthians two eleven. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's why we need to know this so Satan doesn't give an advantage of us so that we're not ignorant of his devices <clears throat> John 8 31 and 32 says then Jesus then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, now these are the Jews that believed and this would apply to Christians that believe. if, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, see it's all about the word, the word is truth You have to continue in it. If you're just willing to drop the word of God and believe, well, you know, I'm sorry, but that's not a good sign. That's not faith. That's for sure. If you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, how do we know the truth? By continuing in his word, because his word is truth. That's how we also get sanctified, made holy and set apart. And that truth will make you free. See, I feel free. I don't care what comes my way. I mean, I care. But whatever heresy comes my way, if I can maintain and stay focused on the truth, the truth will always debunk error. It will always expose lies. I go on to say, if you wholly believe the word of God, you cannot believe that this heresy could possibly be true. That is why I said that this would not shake my faith at all, because if if what anyone says contradicts the word of God, then it is a lie. It's real easy. Real simple. This is the basis of our faith. As Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how we get faith. That's how we get faith to believe in the Bible. Faith coming by hearing. hearing It always comes back to the word of God. I did not mean in any way to imply that a real believer who is saved could not be affected by this. But if a believer truly believes in the Word of God, it will become very apparent that this is that this heresy is in direct contradiction to Scripture and should be rejected. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Okay, so that, that's that's why I'm... And then I also included my attachment on the probability... I have a whole attachment that I, that I put together on the um, the odds. You want to talk about odds? Six hundred one is nothing. Look at the odds of Jesus not being who He says it was. There's not enough atoms in the universe to one that could calculate the odds that He isn't who He says He is, and I can prove it. And this was done at a at a college through uh, uh, a whole class of um, of um, college students calculated this and they did it actually very conservatively they erred on the side of, of cons- uh, very very conservative and if anybody would like that attachment for me to send that to them just email me uh, my email address is on this website um, on sermonaudios.com it's doctor it starts with dr. Johnson so if you email me I'll, I'll email you that attachment just just make sure you let me know It's it's basically uh, it's it's I, and I think it's entitled The Probability of Jesus so just let me know and I'll respond uh, respond back to you so now he emailed me again after I emailed him this and now this is actually a lot more in depth I'm going to go <clears throat> now in this one what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to read you what he said and then I'm going to tell you my response because I inserted it into the email and then emailed it back to him because there was too many points I had to address. And I really needed to address them point by point. He said, hi Mr. Johnson, thank you for replying so quickly. The problem is simply that I can't deal with such things. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but a lot worse than this is coming. Now I didn't say that in there. But a lot worse than this is coming. Um... And we're going to get into that. But he's saying he can't deal with these things. Then he says, it's still an issue of faith, right? And I said, yes, you're absolutely right. This is purely a matter of faith. Hebrews 12.27 says, And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. See the things that are going to be shaken in the day and time we're living in, they're going to be removed. As of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. See the things that are a shaking's coming. And it's it's happening right now. Okay? But a shaking's coming, and everything that can be moved and shaken and taken away. If it were possible, we are going to be likely be to see these types of things. Those things are going to be removed. They're going to be taken away. The Bible predicts it was going to happen. That's why Jesus says, build your house on the rock. The rock of Christ Jesus. For when the winds come and the waves come, that house will still stand. That's why, again, if you're going to build it on Jesus Christ, it comes back to the word of God. Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Jesus Christ is the word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among men all things were made by him without him was not anything made that was made so we have to dwell on the word of God and that's our rock that's the basis of our salvation so that when the waves come and the winds that we're not shaken off our foundation we won't be but if you build your theology or your doctrines on sand which is anything apart from the Lord Jesus Christ well, you're gonna you're gonna get taken away. You're gonna get swept away. <clears throat> and I go on to say, as a Christian, we will all be tried by God to see that we, if we are the genuine article, we're, we're we're all going to be. We're not the apostles. Didn't Jesus have to even go to the cross and die? Now, I'm not saying we're all called to be martyrs, okay? And I'm not saying everybody's been a martyr. But we're all going to be. Shaken, we're all going to be tried. We have to be. We have to be proven. That is how gold is refined in the fire, through heat, through the furnace of affliction, through the valleys. Okay, these are things that have to happen as to a a Christian. First Peter one seven through nine says that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trial of your faith. This is what we're in reference to here. Whom having not seen, ye love. Now this is in reference to Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen. We haven't seen Jesus Christ, but yet we love him. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, Ye receive with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. See, that's the end of our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Hmm. So everything comes back to the Word of God. That's what our faith is based on. That's the solid rock of Christ Jesus. Okay. What is the end of our faith? The salvation of our souls. See, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, all I'm doing here is quoting scripture. To to confirm what we're already talking about here. So see, the end of our faith is salvation of our souls. That's how important this is. That's how important an issue like this would be. And if if anything else, if it's a wake-up call for some people, like this man... Because I think we, we've already probably come to the conclusion this man needs to get saved. He really needs to, to, to get grounded in the Word of God. Hmm. He goes on to tell me, he says, no, nobody can really prove God. Well, I all I put here is see my attachment. Oh yes, you can prove God. Very easy to prove God. I think this attachment that I send out on this, this probability issue of Jesus Christ is one of the strongest ways you can prove it and you could give it to the most die-hard uh, atheist or whatever you want to do or a scientific mind hey, refute this you know, that's what I would do instead of getting into a big argument he goes on to say this means that it's all about faith and I just wrote the word correct believing without seeing but what if there comes a point where you're confronted with something which you simply cannot answer or refute and then you lose your faith? What do you do then? Well, I wrote here, First Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Psalm 119.105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, that's what happened to me with that Jehovah Witness a long time ago. I had a hard time. I couldn't really refute him. I hadn't studied to show myself approval approved unto God. I was a baby Christian. I really didn't have a whole lot of... I didn't have anybody at that point I could really turn to as a mentor. And, um... Unfortunately, most pastors you can't turn to either. And I'm talking about the typical modern day Lady to church. Okay? Um... If you lose your faith this easily And you're willing to walk with You're not saved You cannot be The Holy Spirit lives inside you He is the one That causes all things to be brought in your He is the comforter that comes He is the only one that can give you courage And boldness And strength And wisdom And knowledge And understanding And if you don't have these things You need to ask God because God says he will not If you ask your father for a stone He's not going to give you a snake You need to ask If you don't, if you don't feel that you possess these things Then go to God and ask him I think that one of the primary things we need to ask for in the church Is fear of God Because if you get fear of God You're going to get wisdom You're going to get understanding You're going to get knowledge The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom Knowledge, understanding The angel of the Lord and camp of the round About them that fear him There's all these blessings connected with fear of God So see, it's a downstream effect of the fear of God which which we don't have in this country or in the churches. It's just the love of God. We just want the good stuff. Not the fear. So <clears throat> he goes on to say, I want to believe, but this doesn't protect me from getting these these what if thoughts. And then I become scared. <clears throat> I wrote to him in regard to this. And I says, this implies you're walking in the fear of man. And or the fear of this present day world. He's scared. And not the fear of God. This is opposite of the fear of God. You understand that. The fear of God, the fear of man, can't operate and emanate in the same... One's got to be preeminent in your life. It has to be. Okay. If the fear of God is operating at a sufficient enough level in your life the fear of man and the fear of this present day world will be much more overshadowed. So I think this is something he really needs to pray for. And I told him, I says, Pray for the fear of the Lord. For all those, and then Isaiah 66, 2 says, For all those things have mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that it is That is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. You want God to hear your prayers? Do you tremble at his word? How do you tremble at his word if you don't even have the right Bible? Poor and contrite spirit. What does that mean? Humble, meek. The meek shall inherit the world. Bible says Moses was the meekest man on earth. And that's who God dealt with. That was who God held in the highest regard of all those millions of Jews. So you know pray for humility, meekness, fear the Lord. fear the Lord will give you humility, meekness. That's the nice thing about fear of the Lord. It takes care of so many things. It really does So this man goes on to say, I'm an anxious person by nature, and a lot of things scare me. And it's no different when it comes to faith issues. Well, this man ultimately just he really needs to get saved he goes on to say I simply become scared when I'm confronted with something like this because when I get these thoughts and I think what do I do if they could somehow prove it well you know something the devil's coming with all lying signs and wonders and it's going to seem as though it's much more real than anything you have in the Bible because the Bible's based on faith the Bible's based on faith the trial of our faith. Remember, it's a trial of our faith. It's not going to be easy if what is tested is your faith. That's what's going to be tested. This is just a test. It's a test of faith. That's all this is. Well, the Bible says we're going to be tested as Christians. This is the trial of faith. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay? So, it's going to get a lot worse. I, I you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings. But this is the shaking. It's taking place. This is the sifting. that's taking place. This is partly the wheat and the tares. Of course, I know that that's actually the end times harvest. Okay, and that will take place at once. But there, there's a type there, is one my, my, my point here. There's, there's a type of this going on. This is something we should be looking for. Um, and I've all, we've also covered a lot of scripture that proves that. So he goes on to say, I'll just read the last sentence I simply become scared because when I get these thoughts and think what do I do if they can somehow prove it what if what if the impossible happens and it turns out that the Bible is wrong and I wrote it back I said then our faith is in vain I'm not going to sit here and, but the Bible says then our faith 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen 17 says if Christ be not raised your faith is in vain the Bible even says it you're yet in your sins. Why? Because there's no blood applied. As Melvin Sisson would say, "Is the blood applied?" There's no blood applied to our sin debt. We're all going to hell. We might as well all lay down. We might as well live like the devil, because it's 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 all all your works are as filthy rags. Then <clears throat> Luke and I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm saying that that's what if 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 this were it's not true, but. And the scenario he poses that what if they prove it? They can't prove it. The word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And are you willing to die for it? Are you willing to die for the fact that the word of God is truth? And if there's anything that contradicts the word of God then it's a lie. Period. Nevertheless, Luke 18, 8, Here's what Jesus said. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Is this what we're talking about here? When he cometh, is he going to find faith on the earth? Yeah, he's going to find some. I know he is, but probably not going to be a whole lot. Narrow is the way that we lead up to life eternal. Few that will find. Now, a lot of people may be hearing this and say, "Oh, well, who can get saved? It's not about you. Getting saved is not hard." You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift you freely receive. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So getting saved is not the hard part. Okay? You can get saved through the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Okay? But most people want to earn their way into heaven or want to use some religion or good works or whatever and they're not willing to fully trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ his death, burial and resurrection that he's seated on the right hand of God the Father almighty right now because they can't see it and it requires faith and they don't, well then pray God give you the faith because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can draw you nigh unto salvation, the Holy Spirit's got to do this work, I can't do it, he's the only one that convicts you can convict you to get saved. If there's anyone hearing this message, you need to get saved in the name of Jesus Christ. You can, um... Well, if you're on Sermon Audio, there are a lot of ways you can get saved. <laughs> there's a lot of good messages you can hear. But if you want to concentrate strictly on salvation issues, email me, and I will email you. I will load your boat in regard to... Things about salvation You can ask me any question you want I will I will try to help you in any way I can Ultimately as a Christian The highest thing you can do Once you get saved Is lead somebody else to Christ What higher thing could you do As a doctor I can help a lot of people on this earth And I hope I have But if I help them Physically And they die and go to hell What good have I really done them what really matters is the fruit that that is going to remain after everything's been said and done. A thousand years from now, when we're either in heaven or hell, that's that's all it's going to really matter. Okay, so somebody can say there's 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 nothing that you could compare to that as far as importance goes. So so Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? But that is the whole point of faith that. Um, This is back to me now. I said this. But that's the whole point of faith. Cling to the word of God and do not let anyone sway you. But in order to cling to the true word of God, you have to have the true word of God. Now, I gave him a link here and I'll give it out here. www.av1611.org They have a booklet. If you want me to send you the full link, just email me and I'll send you the full link. Just indicate what you want. And you can probably go up to this website and find this. But it's a booklet on the King James Bible. And it's basically entitled, I Believe Why I Believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. And it's a point by point, historical look, biblical look, scriptural look, scholarly look at why I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. And then he goes on to say, and, and, and again I emphasize, I say it's very, very important to understand the importance of of which Bible version you're reading. I mean, that's foundational to our faith. He goes on to say, these thoughts are totally scary and I can't protect myself against them because they are stronger than my faith at this moment. Well, and and again, I think it's real obvious at this point that his faith is not truly grounded in the Word of God. How could it be if he was rocked that much just from something that hasn't even really been proven? I've been, I mean, that was why I, said the first audio teaching is, is to start debunking this and even after listening to that audio, audio sermon he still didn't have that you know assurance that this wasn't real so he's saying again at this point that, that his um, um, that this teaching is stronger than his faith and then I told him I says, well, okay here's what you do then strengthen your faith so then faith cometh by hearing And hearing by the word of God Now he needs to ultimately get saved first. But how is he going to get saved Through the word of God Okay, You have to get saved You have to believe on the word of God If thou shalt confess with thy mouth The Lord Jesus And believe in thine heart That God hath raised him from the dead Thou shalt be saved Romans 10.9 So Then he says I can have faith But this doesn't mean That I am invulnerable To these thoughts or is faith the same as knowing well I, here's my response Hebrew 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for in the evidence of things not seen so i'm not saying that you know you couldn't never have waivers or doubts or things like that i'm not i'm not saying that, that i haven't had those and and in these types of things but it really matters what you're grounding yourself on. What, what, is, what is the foundation of your faith? Because if the foundation of your faith is the Word of God, is the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to come back to that. Okay? And as your faith gets stronger, these things will affect you less and less. <clears throat> remember, I don't know if I get into that here. I might get into that. Um, because the Bible talks about the form of God and you know, putting on the breastplate of righteousness having your loins good about truth having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace putting on the helmet of salvation and taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God well, the two um, it says above all taking up the shield of faith shield of faith faith is a shield think of it this way it's the full arm of God the stronger our faith is the bigger our shield becomes the bigger our shield becomes the less stuff like this is going to affect us because we've got a bigger shield protecting us if by chance this person will possibly say it his shield is very small because he doesn't have any faith he doesn't have the faith to protect him from the fiery darts of the wicked well, this is the spiritual battle that the Bible says we're in. We're actually in a spiritual battle, but it's not emphasized enough in the churches. <clears throat> then he goes on to say, does faith mean that nothing affects you at all? And no matter what you happens to you, you simply know that you know that you know? And I said, yes, the stronger your faith becomes, the harder it will be to be affected negatively again, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you hear the word of God, the more you hear it, believe it, apply it, the more really, the more holy you live too, holy living, the greater your faith is going to grow, the less this type of stuff is going to affect you. I mean, there's been a lot of people throughout the ages that have died for this very faith. I would say I would say that the martyrs had a pretty strong faith to go and be burned at a stake. Pretty, pretty strong, you know? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. See, that's the main thing. You've got to believe Jesus is who said He is. Again, it goes back to the death, burial, resurrection. Jesus Christ his shed blood to cover and pay our sin debt that's what it goes back to so he that cometh to God must believe that he who's he Jesus Christ that he is and that he is a rewarder who's Jesus he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him so that's a good deal he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him this man goes on to say I'm afraid I don't have this well I'm, I'm glad I really appreciate his honesty I really do Um, Because it's not easy to write a letter like this. You know, it's not. Now, I'm not giving away his identity uh, at all. But, you know, this isn't easy to write. So I I, I respect that. And and what this is, is... is Really, it's a form of humility, if you think about it. Because he's had to humble himself to write this thing to me. And, uh, you know, I... You know what I've seen? God always honors Humility. It's the one, you know. I I, I, I tell God. I, I've told God this many times. I think I told him this this week. I, I say sometimes I I ask. I say to God, it's like I feel like the only thing that I can give you is is humility. I I feel like it's the only thing that, that God sometimes can honor in a person's life is is humility. Because what can you give God? I mean, Grant, I know you can give a holy life and these, but I'm talking about. Something that isn't even works based. All I can do is, I mean, if I, I humble myself before God and, and I and I fear God, I think God honors that. I mean, if you have a little child and they come before you and they and they and they've done something wrong, or, or even if they haven't done anything wrong, even if they are just humbling themselves before you, I mean, it's hard for you to get mad at them. And and it's it would be very easy for you to have compassion on them if they humble themselves. I believe that's how you have to get saved as well. You have to humble yourself before the Lord. You don't come to God or Jesus Christ proud and say, Well, I get saved on my terms when I want when I want. You don't do that. You humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe then you will honor that. You have to come to the cross humble the Bible says unless you, you humble yourself as a little child, you shall not see the kingdom of God. You have to humble yourself. So that's part of the, the equation. Uh, he goes on to say, "I'm afraid I don't have this, and if I, if I had it, I wouldn't be scared by this." Well, he's he's right, and I'm glad he's got that much discernment. <clears throat> I, I I responded to this by saying, "Then you need to take some serious measures to correct this." He goes on to say, "But you could have, but if you could prove God." then you also wouldn't need faith anymore. Now, he brings up a good point here, which I'm going to get into now. It's still an issue of faith. But see, this is the difference between the gospel and everything else. Remember, the Antichrist is going to come with all lying signs and wonders. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Jesus said that. wicked and adulterous generations but see that's what everybody wants they want the Mary's appearing the Mary manifestations they want all these lying signs and wonders because see they can believe that oh I saw it I I was palpable I could do whereas the word of God requires faith so he says but you could but if you could prove God then you then you also wouldn't need faith anymore well I can prove God through scripture through many through many ways you can prove God no, he's not on his throne right here, you know, next to me, visibly appearing to me. Then that wouldn't require any more faith. All it would require is the awe and wonder of looking at him. There's no more faith involved. There's not. So he says it's still an issue of faith, and I and I respond to him and I say absolutely, it's the basis of salvation. Ephesians two eight nine. For your for by grace are ye saved through faith, through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He goes on to say, "Why does why does it always have to be this quote? You gotta believe, even if you don't see stuff." Well, then I responded back again. John twenty twenty nine, Jesus saith unto him. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Right there, man. That's it. Because that's the, that's the foundation of faith. I believe, I've actually prayed this. I have asked God not to show me anything in the supernatural realm to have to show me that in order for my faith to have to be... I've asked God to strengthen my faith, but not have to show me some... Now, granted, I sure wouldn't mind seeing something supernatural if it was of God and it brought glory to the Lord, but I also know that that can be... that's the that's the main way the Pentecostals and a lot of these other false religious movements get off base because they got to have some sign. they got to have some sign and wonder to do whatever. Now, Jesus said, though, blessed are they that have not seen... And yet have been, See, the apostles were at a really high accountability level. If you think about it, they were in a way, in some ways, they were at a different accountability level than you or I because they had been with Jesus Christ for these these three some years, and then they saw him after his resurrection with the nail scars in his you know hands and, and the whole nine yards. Well, you know, at that point, they have seen. I mean, yeah, they got a lot of faith, but they've had faith because they've actually seen it. And then Thomas was also known as Doubting Thomas. You've heard that expression. Well, Thomas says, Unless I put my hand in the nail print and these types of things, I will not believe. And then, and then Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But see, that's the only reason Thomas believed, because he saw him with his own eyes. Blessed are they that have not seen. So see, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing when you don't see and yet you still believe. And that's what we as Christians are really required to do. He goes on to say, this man goes on to say, this upsets me. Everywhere you are bombarded with stuff which attacks the Bible. And I shall simply sit there and believe and be happy. I I wrote him back. I says, no, you fight. You fight. Jude 1, 3-4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, this is what we fight for. We fight for the doctrine of the Bible. But the primary tenet of the doctrine of the Bible, the word of God, the most primary, pivotal tenet, is salvation. What does the salvation hang upon? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His shed blood. Okay. So, The Bible says right here I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith see we're we're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith now we get back to faith again that was once delivered unto the saints particularly that was delivered primarily to the apostles okay and then they they spread and then there was this was the faith That we're supposed to earnestly contend for. The faith upon which our salvation is based off. And the Bible goes on to say, For where are certain men crept in unawares, Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation? Ungodly men, Turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness, And denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're supposed to earnestly contend for this faith. Through Jesus Christ, the death, and resurrection, how we get saved, Taylor? Why? Why Why do we need to contend? Well, because there are, there are going to be men that are going to creep in, and we're not going to be aware of it. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They were ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness. Well, that's what they're doing here with the lost tomb of Jesus. The grace of God's out the window, the, the door. If, if Jesus is still in the grave, you no know grace of God. Why? Because we're saved through grace. We're saved through grace through faith, not, not of ourselves. It is the gift of. So, <clears throat> what these men are trying to do by presenting this lost tomb of Jesus is turn the grace of our God, our, the Lord Jesus Christ, into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord in our Lord... Isn't, that, isn't this the quintessential essence of denying the Lord Jesus Christ, this lost him of Jesus' heresy? Or the Da Vinci Code? Or Holy Blood, Holy Grow, Merovingian Bloodline Junk? It is. This man goes on to say... Now, let, let, let me just read this in a sentence. Uh, again. Everywhere you're bombarded with the stuff which attacks the Bible, and and shall I simply sit there and believe and be happy? Then he says, I cannot do this. This stuff drags me down. Part of me has compassion on this man. And part of me wants to shake him like a rag doll. To be honest with you. To be quite honest. Because, you know, the Bible says, quit you like men, be strong. That's what I feel like telling him. Quit you like men, be strong. Be a man! You know? If if, if you're going to let this little defeat you, you've got no chance. And that's why you have to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God and base these things off Jesus Christ. You can't do it in and of yourselves. The Holy Spirit has to do it through you. Okay? But we need to... uh, the, The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 10, it says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Well I'm sorry Well that's not really nice What you just said Well I'm sorry That's what the Bible says You know We need to um, If you're a babe in Christ You need to get to be an adult You need to quit drinking Or living off the the milk And get to the meat Because you're going to need to be A meat eating Christian To be able to battle And deal with what's ahead and then he says, this stuff drags me down. I've had a lot of people tell me this. Well, I just don't want to deal with any of this. I've had Christians tell me this. I, I, I just don't want to deal... Do... Who cares what you want? The Bible says that our lives are not our own once we get... The Bible says in Galatians 2.20 that we're crucified with Christ and that we do not live, but Christ liveth in us. The Bible says I am, you know... We're supposed to be dead to sin. We're supposed to live through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit living through us. Now, does that mean I think I'm walking around in sinless perfection? No, I'm not implying that at all. But we're supposed to strive for these things. We are supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. We are supposed to be salt-like. We are supposed to mark them which cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. We're supposed to mark these people. He who is spiritual judgeth all things. Because a lot of times, oh, you're just judging things. So we have to judge things every single day. What we don't want to do is be hypocritical in our judgment of things. We won't. We don't want to have a beam in our own eye and pick out the speck on our brothers. That's what the judgment, when we're supposed to judge not lest you be judged. That was hypocritical, parasitical judgment that Jesus was in reference to. He who is spiritual judge of all things. Jesus said judge righteous judgment. We have to judge these things you are supposed to mark these people in by name. i marking this by name. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Oh, well, that wasn't nice. Huh. Tell that to Paul. One of the most holy men that ever lived. That wrote a gigantic part of the New Testament. Well, he marked them. Alexander, uh, uh, Demas and... I may also have left me from this present world. I believe he said that too. He's marked these people. So, <clears throat> he says, I, I can't do this. This stuff drags me down. Okay, then I, I gave him this quote from Luke. Luke 6, 47-49 says, quote, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man which built a an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock the rock of Christ Jesus But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Well, this man is, is is in danger of this. He needs to make sure he gets his house built on the rock, Christ Jesus, because this is a warning. Now, the Bible talks about another thing Paul said is to rebuke them sharply. There, he's in reference to the Cretans here, but he said to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound, found, they, they may be found sound in the faith. This is one of the reasons that you rebuke somebody. Now, I, I tried to be nice with this, but. Um, this man in certain respects needs to be rebuked As I would if I had wrote this letter I'm not holding him to a higher accountability Than I would hold myself Or anyone else Okay, So I'm not doing it because I'm trying to be mean But I'm just trying to give him the word of God I'm not trying to give him my opinion If you just quote scripture back On these issues you really can't go wrong As long as you're quoting the right scripture Isn't that how Jesus dealt with the devil? The devil came to him and contended with Jesus in the desert All Jesus did was quote back scripture That's it work for Jesus should work for us. This man goes on to say, why do Christians have to live this life of uncertainty? And either you make it and keep your faith or you don't and then you go to hell. Now, it's almost like, you know, personally, I don't live a life of uncertainty. I don't. And this is just more evidence that this man needs to get saved. I, I go back to him. I didn't make the rules. God did and as a result as a Christian we have to abide by his word Matthew 7:13 says enter ye in at the strait gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it Bible says, few there be that find it. It's not my rule book, it's God. This is something that you can do many times to diffuse a situation if they get mad at you about something. Say, hey, listen, it's the word of God. Your argument is with God, it's not really with me. If you really think about it. Because this isn't my opinion, I'm just quoting scripture. Then he says, being a Christian is totally hard. Whew. Hmm. Second Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He hasn't seen anything yet. He hasn't. In America? I'm assuming he's writing me from America. I don't know. Then he says, But maybe as a real Christian, you cannot even have such a fear. I, mean, I never said that. I never said you can ever have any, you know, doubt or whatever or fear. Or, but he says, Maybe as a real Christian you cannot even have a fear. Maybe as a real Christian you cannot be even be scared by the thought that they might someday find something wrong which disproves the Bible. <clears throat> Again, I go back to the Word of God. My response to that was Proverbs three five through seven. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. This is the problem. Everyone wants to lead to their own understanding. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's Proverbs fourteen twelve and sixteen twenty five. It's said in the exact same way in those things. So the problem is, is we don't want to trust in the Lord with all our heart, and lean not unto our own understanding. That's a big problem. And then you want to trust in your heart. Well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. In all thy ways acknowledge him who? The Lord Jesus Christ. If we acknowledge him, he shall direct our paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See, it's all packaged right here. Proverbs 3, 5-7. 3, really it's about everything you need to, you need to know almost. Um, if you would just do these things, fear the Lord, depart from evil. He goes on to say, <clears throat> then I'm not a real Christian because this thought scares me. It would destroy everything. Life would be senseless, and I would have nothing at all. And I would become totally cynical and hostile again because if there is no God, then why should I even be nice? Without God, there's no reason to be nice. Well, I, I agree. Without God, nothing matters at all. It's true. This scares me. But maybe the fact that this scares me shows that I simply don't have much of a real faith. I don't know. And then I wrote back to him. I said, if you're in this much doubt, I would make sure you're saved as this is the foundational issue where faith emanates from. And then I gave him two different links, one an audio link and another a link to a Track website where it goes through the salvation plan in detail. Then he goes on to say, if I could experience God or hear Him again, then it would be totally different, but I don't. But here we go with this experience. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after sign. Now this is Jesus saying, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now he was talking to the Jews. But no sign shall be given them a wicked and adulterous generations seek of sign, but no sign shall be given them I just had that verse in my head wicked and adulterous generations seek of sign, but no sign shall be given them ah, I just lost that one in my, in my head but the, but the sign of Jonas for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly so shall the son of man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth Okay, so now, that was our, that, I mean, that was <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in other words, which is what that is a reference is. Which is a historical fact, which hundreds of people have saw. That's our sign. You want a sign, there you go. Right there. That's our sign. That is, if there was one sign you could hang your faith on, that is, that is the main sign. Okay. But. Again, I, I said to him. He, he, he says, uh, "If I could experience God or hear Him, and then it would be totally different." But I don't. And again, this is what the Pentecostal Hebrew roots movements are really, really based on. This, this, this experience—you've got to feel it, you know. Again, John twenty twenty nine says, "Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed." And then I also said also be care, careful about feelings as feelings stem from the heart okay we've already quoted these other verses that I, that I wrote in here hmm. then he says I only hear other Christians speak about their experiences with God which makes me feel like I'm the greatest idiot because it's always the others which hear God and which experience something but it's never me that's probably a blessing I really believe that, and I'm going to explain why. As if it was writ- as, as if it was an unwritten law that I can never experience God, and that God will always stay mystical and unreachable. I don't really understand it. Now, th- this guy really sounds like a Pentecostal to me, because I, I've, I mean, I know because I, have oh, 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 I been there? I have still been there. And then I reiterated, and see the above verses. Please read them over. Please listen to my sermons at SermonAudio.com. They will answer many more questions you will be having. Um, But um, just just to address this last point here and then we'll end. Um, I only hear about other Christians speaking about their experiences with God which makes me feel like I'm the greatest idiot because it's always the others which, I mean, what does it say in the Bible that, that we're supposed to we have to have all these big, great, grand experiences where God manifests and, and, and we, hear, well, we hear all of our voices. The Bible says right here, it says, blessed are they who have not seen and believed. If you had to constantly hear God's voice constantly in order for you to have faith, that is not faith. It's not faith. Jesus said it's better if you don't see or hear. Now, I'm not saying God couldn't speak to somebody. Normally, if he does do that, it will be a still small voice. I don't also want to put God in the box. But I have a big, really big problem with people that go around constantly saying, Oh, the Lord spoke to me, speaking to me all the time. I'm going to pray in tongues a little bit more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they've got all kind of sin in their life. Now, here, here's the point here. Here's the point. Now, I know there's a lot of people, especially the Pentecostalists, that's really get mad about this. Here's the point. If God were truly speaking to you as a Pentecostal, you know, have I've been there, Why would God strain at gnats and swallow camels? Why would God not address your sin issues primarily? And then, why is it always, Oh, i got a word of God. You're going to be a mighty man of God. It's always something positive and flowery and wonderful. I mean, I'm talking about the vast majority of Pentecostals that I have known. Okay? The words that they get typically are words about wonderful, nice, flowery things not having to do with God's judgment, not having to do with sin issues in someone's life. That's typically what you're going to get, okay? Obedience is better than sacrifice, God said. The rebellion is is the sin of witchcraft. Why would God ignore all these other things? Why wouldn't God get you reading the right Bible? Why wouldn't have? Why, why would? God convict you about the Christian rock you're listening to? Or the 501c3 church that's, where you're not even getting any truth? Why would He keep sending you back to an apostate place where you're not getting fed? Where you're staying a little child? Where you're not being fed strong meat? Where you're actually getting perverted? Where you're getting corrupted? Where you're getting leavened? Because there's so much sin in the camp that it's affecting the whole body of Christ. Why wouldn't he convict about those things? Why is it always the flowery stuff? Why? Why would God strain at gnats and swallow camels? Doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make a bit of sense to me. These are the things God has shown me. And you know something? I was Mr. King Pentecostal. So please don't come to me and say, Oh, you don't understand. You've never experienced it. No, oh, don't even tell me that. I've been there. I've been in the fetal position on the floor, slain in the spirit the whole nine yards. I've been all that. Ask God to forgive me. Needed to be delivered, basically, from all that. So I have a kind of a unique perspective on things. You know, I think I have, I have a perspective where I can kind of render an opinion. If I have never been there, if I've never walked in those shoes, then I, you know, hey, but I have. or well, I've walked in them. A couple of us here have walked in those shoes. Probably not to the extent I have, though, thank God. Well, hey, if I was going to do something, I was going to do it all the way. You know, I was very zealous, but zeal, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are very zealous. Mormons are very zealous. Zeal is typically applied in the wrong direction. That's the problem. That was the problem with me. But God used it. He showed me. Now I have a unique perspective. I think I can help others. That if I had not been through it, I couldn't help them. So this, you know, this whole thing that you're that he's saying here, he feels like the greatest idiot because it's always the others which hear God and which experience something that it's never, never me. Well, it's probably a good thing because most of these people that are doing this are not hearing from God. They're hearing from a counterfeit spirit that's posing as God. Now, I'm not saying every single time, every single one. Okay, but I'm saying the strong delusion, the fruit of the Church of America, why wouldn't God be primarily convicting us about our sin issues? And why, if that were the case, why are they building stadium churches and filling them and putting coffee bars in them and McDonald's kiosks and having the Christian rock bands and the tithing kiosks and the 501c3 corporations and the board of deacons, uh, the board of directors of the deacons and the CEOs, the pastor of this corporation and they're making money and money and money and they got all the programs and they're not talking about sin, they're just talking about the love of God. Why is it all these people that are supposedly hearing from God? are perpetuating these types of churches. Come let us reason together say the Lord. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal and few there be the fountain. Many shall say to me that day Lord, Lord have we not done all these great mighty works? Have we not prophesied in your name and cast out many devils? And you'll say depart from me. Ye that work iniquity I never knew you. That's what Jesus said. That that's going to be the majority of what's going to happen. So, you know, I tell you what, that scares me. That scares me. But that's the fear of God. That's not the fear of man. That scares me what God could do to me. Um, and I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ at all. I'm sorry, I'm not. Um, I would never be so hopeful and I'd never be so arrogant as to say that. Um... Just to clarify, unless unless somebody doesn't understand what I'm talking about, with the judgment seat of Christ, there's two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, where the people that have rejected Jesus Christ ultimately will appear before, and they will all be cast in the lake of fire. These are people that, that rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, that were either trusting in their own works or their religion or whatever, whatever particular religion they were in. This is the great white throne judgment. This um, uh, is not a place you want to be. Okay, at all The judgment seat of Christ is different In this judgment Christians will appear Who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ As their Savior And they will be um, judged And their works will be tried As fire And um, this is referenced to in the Bible And their works will either be tried As wood stubble Wood hair stubble Or precious stones Gold or silver And the fire will try your works To see if they be of God and if they were of God If you did them through the Lord And again you have to do everything in your life through the Lord Through the power of the Holy Spirit You will have you will have gold, silver, precious stones that remain And this will be part of your reward system Based in the, in, in heaven And I'm not sure how all that works out or plays out But the Bible also says Some will be saved Yet so as by fire So I do believe there's probably going to be some people in there who, Yes they get saved But all that God's wood hand stubble That's it and, and, and all their works are burned up. Well, it could be... You know, hey, I'm not including myself, it wouldn't be. So, granted, it's not it's not the ideal way to get into heaven. Okay? I mean, it's not the ideal way you want to try to get into hell. Well, I got it. Got, I mean, but it's way better than burning like a fire for eternity. That's for sure. There's no comparison based on two. So anyway, I wanted, I wanted just to clarify that. But this whole thing about this experience thing, this is a lie from the pit of hell. You don't have to have some... You know, Holy Ghost hammer hit you over the head and knock you out cold in order to say, oh, I had an experience so it's a God. I've been around so much of this junk and it's only getting worse and worse and worse. Especially with the infiltration of the Hebrew roots, the Messianic Jewish movement, into the Pentecostal movement. Then you got the charismatic Catholics that are coming. Man, this is a mess, I'm telling you. And it's witchcraft. This stuff is witchcraft. This, 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 uh, you know, the, the tongues issue and all this other stuff it just doesn't make any sense why in the world the Lord would would, would, um, would condone all these obvious sin issues and if he was really speaking to these people why wouldn't he deal with their sin issues? And it's not happening. It's not happening. And This is part of the strong delusion. This is part of the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that the Bible predicted were going to happen. This is part of what Revelation chapter 3 when it describes the Laodicean church that they would be lukewarm but yet they will, they will think that they're in need of nothing. They will think they're in need of nothing. But in reality, they're blind, wretched, wicked, naked. I mean, but they don't even see it. And that's the way the church is is today. So, um, I'm going to close it out today. We'll go ahead and close this out with some prayer. Uh, Prayer and... uh, Oh, we've been going for quite a while. (laughs) Um, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time you've given us. I praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord God, and all the the goodness you bestowed upon us. We're thankful, Lord God, for letting us meet here, for for letting this recording go forth on the internet. I pray, God, that you bless it, that your name be glorified through it, Lord, that you use it to lead many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's a will, Lord God, that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I pray, Lord God, your fear would be upon this recording, and that fear would drive people to repentance. I pray to God that you would just help us be the best Christians that we can possibly be, God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection, and that your angels wouldn't camp around about us, Lord God, and go before us and protect us. And Lord God, prepare the way, God, for the gospel. I just thank you, Lord. I pray, God, you bring us back at the next next appointed time. I do pray, God, that you forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form. Lord God, that you would wipe our slate clean, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, that you would cleanse us of secret sins, and presumptuous sins, that they would not have dominion over us, Lord. We love you, Lord God. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.